I love that we are together this day, this place. So all of you online and house, welcome. It's kind of a special moment for me because my alma mater won the national, the NCAA Division II National Championship football game yesterday. It was really a great moment. And the reporter after the game shoved the microphone into the head coach's mouth and said, first time this school has ever won the national championship. What words are going through your mind right now? What is it? You know what he said? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. To him be the glory both in the church and Jesus Christ and to all generations, both now and forevermore. I just went, okay, that was a moment. That was a moment. Suddenly it wasn't even about a victory. It was about the final victory that begins with his coming. All right, let's back up. A little boy was afraid of the dark. And his mother came to him and said, listen, I want you to go on the back porch and get the broom. And he hesitated and said, Mama, I don't want to go out there. It's dark. And she smiled reassuringly at him and said, Honey, you don't need to be afraid of the dark. Jesus is there. He'll watch over you. He'll protect you. And the little fellow wasn't buying it. And he looked at his mom and he said, are you sure he's out there? And she said, well, yes, I'm sure. He's everywhere. And he's always ready to help with whatever we need. He's ready to help. And that little fellow thought about that for a bit. So he finally went to the back door and he just cracked it open. And he said, Jesus, if you're out there, would you hand me that broom? <laughs> I suppose it happens to all of us at some point along the way where we, where we wonder if God is really there. Our doubts, our questions, God's existence, all of that is addressed in Scripture. Is this still working? Okay. Doesn't sound like I'm hearing it very well. God's existence is addressed all through the Bible. In fact, you could say that everything in the Bible is either about God's presence or... <laughs> the lack thereof. Look at this quote from Spurgeon. If the Lord is there, holiness will abound and the fruits of the Spirit will be seen on all sides. But if the Lord be once withdrawn, then flesh and blood will rule and bring forth corruption after its own manner. God's presence and the fact that he is there changes earth's whole landscape you've been singing about this all month every time you sing the christmas carol joy to the world one of the stanzas no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found god's presence sets up a whole new world view and that is why everything on earth tingles with excitement at Christmas. Our body, soul, and spirit are reminded that God actually came back. No, not the first time. No, no, he came back. Think about this. Before sin entered the world, it was God and Adam and Eve together in paradise. It was good. And our sin ripped that perfect existence apart. 
And God already had a formulated plan to begin the restoration process. And at just the right time, that plan was consummated with the birth of God in the flesh. Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of the last name that God gave of himself revealed through his Old Testament prophets. The name Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. Now, this name is a combination of excitement and comfort. Yahweh Shammah is the promise and pledge of God completing the work he began at creation to restore our walk with him so that we could glorify God and enjoy him forever, our ultimate purpose. Shama literally means there or at that place. And this name is used only once in all of Scripture. So let me set it up a little bit. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, the prophet describes a time when the nation of Israel was in trouble again. And the nation was 25 years into a prophesied 70 years of captivity there because of their own rebellion and idolatry. And the Israelite temple, which was built as a place for God, a place for God's children, followers, nation to pray, a house of prayer, well, it lay in ruins because for decades the people of God were deep into worshiping many gods. They stubbornly refused to acknowledge and worship only Yahweh. And perhaps Ezekiel 10 verse 18 is one of the saddest words in all of Scripture. Look at this. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. Oh, man. Now, we have been learning about the nature of God through these various names in this series. And masterfully, last, these last two weeks, Nathan took us to Yahweh Rohi, the one who sees, sees all of us in our pitiful condition. And then he took us to Yahweh Jireh, the one who doesn't just see us in this pitiful condition, but is determined to see us through that pitiful condition. Yahweh tells Ezekiel to repeat one phrase in particular over and over and over again through his book. And that phrase is, over 70 times he says this, that phrase is, they will know that I am the Lord. Let me give you an example. This is in the 28th chapter beginning with verse 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, Sidon, and among you I will display my glory. You know, you will know that I am the Lord when I inflict punishment on you and within you and proved to be holy. I will set a plague upon you and make blood flow in your streets. The slain will fall within you and the sword against you on every side. Then you will know that I am the Lord." No longer will the people of Israel have malicious neighbors who are painful briars and sharp thorns. They will know 
that I am the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I gather the people of Israel from the nations where they have been scattered, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of the nations. Then they will live in their own land, which I will give to my servant Jacob. They will live there in safety and will build houses and plant vineyards. They will live in safety when I inflict punishment on all their neighbors who malign them. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Times were tough, but those tough times wouldn't last. Change was coming. And the ultimate word of hope comes at the very end of this prophecy to a people decades into captivity and punishment Yahweh gives Ezekiel specific details of a rebuilt city and that a time was coming when they would no longer be under this vicious Babylonian rule. And Yahweh speaks and Ezekiel writes it down. Look what it says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. And the name of the city from that time on will be Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. It's the only time this name of God appears. That's it. The last name God gave of himself through the Old Testament prophets. And for nearly half a millennium, after this name is given, God is quiet. He gives us no more names depicting his nature. And there are no more prophecies for telling the future. For all practical purposes, God goes mute until God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And soon after Jesus was born in the city of David in Bethlehem, he was eight days old. And where did they take him? On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So tell me now, when he was eight days old, where was he? He was in Jerusalem. Well, I guess you might very well say the Lord was there. Yahweh Shammah. This is only the beginning of the full measure of fulfillments to this prophecy. In fact, there is an incredible parallel between the vision that God gave Ezekiel and the vision that God gave John. You guys got to see just some of these. Let me give, give me just a minute to do this. In Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35, we just read, and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. That was Ezekiel's vision. John's vision in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Look back in Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 2. We read, in visions of God, this is the vision that Ezekiel had, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. Now you go to John's vision in chapter 21 and verse 10, and he carried me, the Spirit carried John, in the Spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. If you go to chapter 40 and verse 3, it reads, He took me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. You go to John's vision in chapter 21 and verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 48 and verses 30 through 34, there's a description of the dimension of this city, and it ends by explaining that all of the walls were the exact same size, and it had three gates in each wall, and the city was a square. If you go to Revelation, in John's image, it's in John's vision, he had in 21 verse 16, the city was laid out like a square. Well, what in the world's going on? You have these two different people living half a millennium apart from one another, having very, very similar visions. 
What's God doing? Well, it looks like in part, Ezekiel's prophecy was for the Jewish exiles going through this seven-decade captivity. They would return one day and rebuild their capital city. <laughs> but John's vision? Oh, you guys. John's vision points to a glorious day when we will no longer be captives to sin, but we will be citizens of a city that is not even made by human hands. Goodness. A place where we will live with God, and he will be our God, and we will be his people. And if you'll allow me, we will no longer have to go out in the dark on the porch to get the groom, the groom, the broom, <laughs> because it's not dark there. It's a city where there's no night. Charles Spurgeon has such a beautiful statement about this. Look what he said. If the Lord be with us through life, we need not fear for our dying confidence. For when we come to die, we shall find that the Lord is there. Where the billows are most tempestuous and the water is most chill, we shall still we shall feel the bottom and know that it is good. Our feet shall stand upon the rock of ages when time is passing away. Beloved, from the first of a Christian's life to the last, the only reason why he does not perish is because the Lord is there. When the God of everlasting love shall change and leave his elect to perish, then may the church of God be destroyed, but not till then, because it is written, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. I told you it was an exciting and comforting word. You guys, doesn't it make sense that if the Lord is there for us, that we might be there for him. I mean, you help me finish this. We love because he first loved us. Wouldn't that same biblical principle apply to giving? We give because he first gave to us. Two weeks ago, we told you that we were going to target this Sunday, this moment, December the 17th, as our special Christmas offering. And we wanted two weeks to pray and prepare for this moment, a moment when we, when we would give what he has given so abundantly to us. This gift is a way of honoring God to say thank you to him, and it's also a way for us to stay financially healthy. We had lean months in June, July, and August, and we're still trying to catch up. We had some people come forward with those $5,000 dollar-for-dollar challenges, and those have been met. I, we found this out late last night. So what you're giving right here is helping us fully end this year in the black and catch up. But it's so much more than us being financially responsible. This is a way of you saying thank to him, thanks to him, who has done so much for you.
So we're going to go old school today. I mean, this is what we did growing up as a kid. We're going to start in the back. I'm going to pray over this in just a minute. And they're going to make sure we're going to pass it down. And we've got guys kind of situated in the aisles. And you're going to pass it from the very back rows all the way to the front. And then the ushers are going to take it. And they're going to actually put it in the manger because that's what wise men do. We bring the gifts to the king. So let me pray over this offering and we'll sing this fantastic new song. And then we'll close. Father, we give because you first gave to us. We love because you loved us. And because you are there, we want to be there for you. Receive our gifts. We give them cheerfully and without hesitation. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.